Hello and welcome to Dog-Eared Pages with UKYA authors Lauren James, that's me, and Lucy Parry, a podcast full of book recommendations and writing advice. Episode two, Lucy, are you excited? I'm so excited. I was so happy with the feedback we got from the first episode and um, just kind of, I suppose it's weird inviting people to listen to you. You don't really know what the reception's going to be, but it was really nice. I was um, quite nervous. Were you nervous? Like, I, I didn't expect nervous. to be, but when I was, when we were putting the first episode up, I was like, oh my God, they're going to hate it. But everyone was really nice. I feel like the biggest <laughs> request we got was for pictures of our dogs, which we talked about. So um, I will make sure that there are links to pictures of Oliver and Digby in the show notes. Although Oliver is very tragically injured at the minute he's lying next to me with a cone of shame around his neck because he uh, went hunting rabbits and tore open his shoulder in the middle of the night last Saturday and had to go into the vets for emergency stitches overnight uh, and have a little operation so he's been feeling very sorry for himself this week but I'm happy to say he's back to his normal hunting rabbit self so I'm the only one stressed about it anymore but (laughs) it's been a busy week. I can imagine how stressful that's been. (laughs) Yeah (laughs) how's Digby doing? Uh, Digby is great he has been really super loving this week as I've been getting lots of reading and writing in while he's been sleeping by my side and it is amazing. So today we are talking about summer reads because it has been so hot. So but the minute, <laughs> the minute we talk about this, I think it's going to rain. Uh, we're going to jinx the weather, I think. We're going to get thunderstorms while we're talking about lovely hot summery books. I am terrified of thunderstorms, though, so it's my least favourite thing about summer. <laughs> so what do you mean when you say we are talking about summer reads? What is a summer read to you, Lucy? I kind of associate summer reads with the books that I read during summer. Um, so I tend to read a lot of my Kindle during summer for some reason. I just find it a lot more convenient. Summer for me always meant reading as the school holidays got closer and so I'd like be able to stay up later at night and read outside before it got dark. So I always kind of associate summer reading with something that shouldn't normally be allowed but is now. I think I find myself doing a lot of rereads in the summer or like searching out comfort reads and things that like evoke nostalgia, Just, just that feeling of like uh, having an exciting holiday or something I, I definitely search out for things that make me feel good rather than maybe a thriller yeah last year I read the Harry Potter books again it was the first time since I'd read them originally um, and I think rereading something in summer I feel like in summer I, I do feel like I have less energy um, you know when it's so warm outside you don't really want to do a lot so something that's easy to read for me I always associate with summer just drape yourself across furniture and read and read and read all day that is the summer dream <laughs> what about you what do you associate most with summer reads I think it has to be something that's not like real life so no contemporary fiction it has to feel like I am going on holiday and having a getaway as well or it's a story about characters going on holiday so one that I immediately thought of was The Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants which I remember reading a lot when I was younger and is obviously about all these friends who share some a pair of jeans and that get sent around the world as they go on holiday together uh, to different places uh, and it's just about all of them like uh, leaving and going away and then reuniting at the end of the summer holidays and it's a it's one that I remember loving to read every single year. <laughs> Would you like to introduce the first book for today's episode Lucy? Yes I have a book that 
I read earlier this year, but I really want to talk about because um, I just loved it so much. So even though I didn't read it in summer, I think it is the perfect summer read. I kind of wish I'd saved it because it would have been brilliant. But it is Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day by Winifred Watson. It was published in 1938 originally, but it's now published by Persephone Books, who are one of my favourite publishers. If you don't know, they are a publisher in London who uh, find forgotten fiction written by women usually in the 20s or 30s and they republish them uh, in these beautiful grey editions with end papers with fabric taken from the time the book was written and French flaps and this lovely thick cream paper and they're these beautiful objects and you know that they're curated so that you're going to get a good read uh, so you pick it up based on the trust in the publisher rather than a beautiful cover and they're so they're some of my favourite books. Um, the Miss Pettigrew, I think, is probably their most successful because it's been made into a film with Emma Thompson. Um, but Dorothy Whipple does some really good ones as well. This is why I think that Miss Pettigrew is a book that everybody should read. So it is basically about a governess called Miss Pettigrew, who in the book is described a lot as being very, very old. She's <laughs> basically always you know, being said, oh, I'm so old, or people are telling her, oh, you're so old, and really she's like 30 or something. Um, but she turns up at the wrong job interview. She's been a governess for a long time in these families that she doesn't like and she hates her job, but she goes to this job interview for a new governess position and then she turns up and she walks into this house and it is not like any other interview she's been at before and she meets Miss LaFosse who is a nightclub singer and basically she's turned up at the wrong job interview and it's all about Miss LaFosse teaching her how to live a life that she has never imagined before and it's set over the course of one day and each chapter is the different times throughout the day and it's like the best Cinderella transformation book I have ever read it's really cute and it has such gorgeous little illustrations throughout as well it's a really beautiful story to uh, see unfold one of the things that really struck me about it is that you have Miss Pettigrew who is so unlike any of the other characters and yet she has so much to offer to them and they have so much to offer to her and so it feels like a mutual thing throughout rather than it being about somebody having to change their whole life I think everybody in the story is at a point where they all need change and so they all facilitate that change together it is like a a study in how to do character plot arcs and how to have characters change over the course of pages because it's just oh it's just so heartwarming and lovely to see them all grow I'd love to try setting a book over the course of one day because so many of my favourite books are like that. So one of my other favourite books is Mrs Dalloway by Virginia Woolf and that's also set over the course of one day. Um, and even though they're very different books, I feel like both of them have similarities too. Um, but I don't know how I would even start. I think it's got to be quite a tight plot to make it work and to make it authentic. And also... You've got to have something interesting, but not so interesting that it feels unrealistic. And you have to show every all of your characters' thoughts because you can't give them time away overnight to think things through. You have to believably have them make these changes in their lives over the course of hours or minutes. So it really has to be structured absolutely to the second for it to work. Yeah, and I think that's actually why this book does work, because there isn't any room for error. Um, and also, I think because of the it being set over a short period of time, and actually, 
it's quite a short book you have to have characters who feel realistic who feel like friends who feel like someone you want to root for um, and I really did root for Miss Pettigrew she is the antithesis of Miss LaFosse um, she dresses I suppose quite dowdily and she's not particularly glamorous and that's just how her character is and then Miss LaFosse is everything that she isn't and yet they form such a warm friendship throughout the book and um, that I want a sequel to know how everything works out for them um, because even though it is short even though you only just get to know them really you know so much about them and and they do feel like they will walk off the page absolutely and I think it is one of those things where if you are spending every minute of every, a day in someone's head it has to be a character who you like because you couldn't stand it otherwise and Miss Pettigrew is a character that everybody will love. I suppose it was the same for you when you were writing The Loneliest Girl in the Universe and that you're not focusing on one day but you're focusing on one character in particular would you say that that was a similar writing experience? Yeah, so you're like immersed in their their head and their way of thinking. And that is the story is seeing their brain work over the time. And I think it is really tough. And it was one of the things when I was creating that character and I knew it was just her on her own that I had to think really hard about, about how I could make someone who people would be willing to spend that much time in her head. Um, and I hadn't read Miss Pettigrew Lives for a day when I was writing that, and I really wish I had because it would have been very useful, I think. Yeah, some of my favourite characters to read about are the ones who actually, they are so good because they stand up on their own, uh, which actually I suppose is one of the downfalls in my writing is that I'm writing about a big cast of characters. So when I'm writing, I don't really get that alone time to really develop one character so the way that I work is that I develop them all around each other and so they've all got to have different dynamics they've all got to interact in different ways and so even though they are individual characters part of the character as well is them being in a group and so it definitely changes the way that I characterize and the way that I shape my characters because they can only be ways that make them stand out in opposition to each other I always think about how when you have you know sometimes in sitcoms they have a like a bottle episode where the characters are just trapped in a room because they've lost a key or something and the whole episode is just them talking without moving in or changing location I always think about that when I'm writing a character because like could I pull off an episode a bottle episode where they are alone in a room talking to each other for 20 minutes or would you be bored and if you haven't got a character who you can hold your reader's attention for that length of time even if nothing is happening with the plot then you failed at creating a character and you need to go back and give them more interesting personality traits or reactions or um, banter just to try and make sure that you're not relying on the plot to keep people reading I'm gonna steal that as a writing exercise I think because <laughs> I think I think that is a great way of developing characters. So my first pick is Monsters by Emerald Fennel which is a kind of middle grade book although I would say that it's aimed mainly at an older audience uh, but it takes that middle grade style of writing for children uh, and it's a very Enid Blyton style book but about serial killers and murderers 
Uh, it's written by the Emerald Fennel, who is the screenwriter of Killing Eve series two. So it uh, is, comes from a place of murder and it's set in a sleepy Cornish village uh, where uh, lots of English people go on holiday and a woman's body is discovered on a beach and a 12 year old girl and boy who are obsessed with murder murders start investigating her death and they have no boundaries they are reenacting the murder and getting involved in darker and more horrifying things as it goes on and it gets funnier and more shocking and it's kind of like if you put set a black mirror episode in an Enid Blyton book uh, and it's just got one of those endings which I still think about now because it was just so utterly shocking and it it's a hard book to categorize because like I said it's written in the style of a middle grade book for children but it's definitely not something that a child could ever read it's written as almost satire or parody or a pastiche of an Enid Blyton book exactly my thing <laughs> would you have read it when you were a child do you think that you could have handled it I don't know because I feel like as I've got older I've got more more shocked and more nervous by stuff like I feel like I handled stuff a lot better when I was younger and now I'm a bit more squeamish as I get older so I think probably I'm not giving myself enough credit and I probably would have been fine with it <laughs> but it I wouldn't give it to a child I know now I don't think yeah it gives you nightmares <laughs> yeah see I was so scared as a child and I still kind of am I don't like I would never watch a horror film ever um I think I was forced to watch one at school once like at Christmas time when people put on a film and everyone was so excited because they just turned like 13 and could watch 12 films or something <laughs> and we watched a horror film and I just I could not look so reading something like that when I was maybe like 10 or 11 or something I just I know it would have given me nightmares for years yeah maybe avoid this one then but if you uh, have a stronger stomach then definitely check this one out it is very underappreciated and it is one of my favorite books that I still think about a lot and I think I read it in 2015 so a good few years ago now well what do you think about that whole idea of like taking a classic book like an Enid Blyton something that people know even if they haven't read it and then putting that kind of twist on it Oh, I love it. Um, I, I, I love that people do that a lot with Harry Potter. So Carry On by Rainbow Rowell is like a pastiche of Harry Potter. Um, I think it's a, a great way of interrogating the text. And even if it's something that you love, you can still see how it's problematic and kind of uh, address issues and fix them or um, make them more interesting. And if you're a big fan of something, then obviously you just want to absorb more and more and more of it. And you don't care if they're all kind of similar because you just want to live in that world. And doing something like this is a really great way of doing that. So I would definitely love to write something like this uh, in the future, just because it like a, a version of Narnia where Aslan is actually a serial killer like how great would that be that would be such fun to write <laughs> I'm not sure if I'd go through that wardrobe <laughs> maybe not I think I would <laughs> so I love watching period dramas all year round so recently I have been watching the 1992 version of Howard's End starring Helena Bonham Carter Emma Thompson, Anthony Hopkins and Vanessa Redgrave which I think is amazing so I recently read the book and fell in love with it and I have been watching this adaptation which is on Netflix and even though it's a film I've been pacing myself like it 
they are individual TV episodes because I just can't get enough and I don't want it to end. So the book and the film, which is a very faithful adaptation, follows three groups of people, the Wilcoxes, the Schlegel sisters and the Basts. And they are all from slightly different classes and they have different ideas of the world. The Schlegel sisters um, are actually kind of loosely based on Virginia Woolf and her sister Vanessa Bell um, when they were younger which I think is a really interesting idea but I also think there were other inspirations for the characters as well but they're very like bohemian middle class and have ideas on art and literature and they like reading German literature and um, they have very solid ideas of how they think the world should be and I think that sometimes that goes against them because the world isn't exactly like that or it, it you know it's going to take a long time to be like that and then you have the Wilcoxes who are I suppose quite stuck up in a way but I think your perception of them changes as the book and the film progresses um and then the Basts um consisting of Leonard and his wife um and Leonard Bast wants to improve himself but they haven't got a lot of money and he is in this job and the characters all connect together um, and their lives intertwine and so you find Leonard um, meeting the Schlegels and them affecting the course of his life because of something um, Mr Wilcox said to them and so the idea of only connect um, and the idea I suppose that everybody's lives are linked and all of our actions affect everybody else's actions too and um, really plays a big part in it but I love this adaptation so much because it feels very much like all of my favorite adaptations from around this time um also Helena Bonham Carter and Emma Thompson in a period drama I mean come on that is perfect <laughs> I've only seen the 2017 BBC miniseries that had Hayley Atwell and Matthew McFadden in have you seen that one as well no, so I haven't. I've been saving that one until after I've watched this one. So give me your thoughts on it. What do you think? I really enjoyed it. Um, I felt like it could have been a bit longer. I think it was only four episodes, so it was quite short. But it was really well done. And the locations and scenes were really lovely. They had some really nice houses. And it was just really nice to have, I think we discussed this in the last episode, but have a bit more historical context to a period drama. So it really felt embedded in the time period and they discussed economics and banking and all of these things that made it feel real rather than written like in some imaginary world of Regency dukes and stuff that doesn't actually exist. And I felt thought that it was just a great look at flawed characters as well none of them were perfect and there was no neat resolution at the end they were just allowed to be flawed and I thought that was really nice yeah I feel like the time that the book was written so it was written um around 1810 or 11-ish um and this is it was such an interesting time for literature because you have like the Victorian which I suppose the Victorian novel in a way and there was lots of genres and lots of different ideas I feel like all Victorian novels follow the same kind of path or they've got similar messages running throughout and are kind of restricted by Victorian conventions and ideas of morality and that kind of thing um and so I suppose the Victorian novel is kind of stricter 
But by the time you get into the Edwardian period, things are really starting to change and you're leading into modernist literature. And E.M. Forster is kind of in between the two. Um, and so he does talk about things like economics and banking, like you said, and just things actually were really important to the time that is kind of forgotten because I feel like in period dramas, you know, the Regency is really popular and you get kind of these idyllic looks. But I suppose what I liked about this adaptation is it has got that kind of idyllic feel but there's also serious stuff going on too so I wanted to talk about another classic well it's not really a classic but I would consider it a classic Uh, it's The Blue Castle by Al M. Montgomery who is the author of Anne of Green Gables and it was written in 1926 and it's a standalone novel so it's not collected to Anne um, but it is basically a story of it's a very classical old-fashioned romance uh, about a woman who is 29 she's considered an old spinster because she's not married and she's never been in love and she goes to the doctor for a heart problem and uh, find gets a letter finding out that she is dying and decides to not go in for treatment and instead just let loose and live life to the full while she can she thinks she's only got a year to live and so she uh, stands up to her evil family and goes off on adventures and says yes to everything and it is this amazing summer read because it's set outdoors in Canada there's lots of descriptions of nature and descriptions of her joy that she finds in nature in this time in her life when it could be so easily to easy for her to fall into a depression there is of course a romance um and there's lots of kind of uh fast car rides through countryside and it is really a wishful fulfillment comfort read it's one for fans of eva ibbotson uh who we're trying really hard not to talk about because we want to do a whole episode about eva ibbotson but um if you are a fan of her this is one for you uh, I actually found it when I was searching for comfort reads and I found a good Goodreads list of everyone's favourite comfort reads and this was one of the top ones and I'd never heard of it so I checked it out and immediately understood why because it really is just like the nicest, loveliest story where you the plot is so predictable that you don't even need to worry about it. You can just read it knowing exactly what's going to happen and have this great adventure where she goes from this Uh, depressing awful life to this absolute dream life in this amazing uh, cottage in surrounded by countryside and talking about it is making me want to reread it just because it is the perfect read for summer and uh, it's one that I feel like I'm going to go back to uh, a lot as I get older just because there's so much in there about being a woman and how society treats you and how they treated women in 1926 but how we're treated now and what we are the expectations are on us to do things with our lives and yeah it's really good I'm gonna have to go now because I need to start reading that immediately <laughs> go 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 <laughs> I love Ellen Montgomery I feel like I don't really associate her books with summer I always associate the Anne books in particular with autumn because I read Anna Green Gables in the autumn and there's that you know really famous line about October and so I always associate her books with autumn and that time of year definitely have you seen Anne with an e i haven't and i've tried i tried to watch the first episode and i just there was something about it that for me those books are so pure and wholesome that i didn't want anything disrupting the image of Anne in my head because i associate her so much with living inside my head 
but I kind of didn't want to shatter that image I've got of her. So I've been holding off, but maybe I should. Or I'd quite like to watch the older adaptation too. The old one is great. I think they are both excellent. But I really love the new one because it's very loyal to the source material while also modernising it for um, current viewers by adding more diversity. So there are gay characters, there are people of colour. It feels a much more realistic world and it doesn't affect the plot. You feel like you're still with Anne on her journey, but it leaves her and you'd spend time with other characters and see what their lives are like outside of Anne's very strange perspective on the world like she is a crazy kind of person in how she views life and it is a lot darker and it does show the kind of the dark side of life as well in a really great way so I think you can it's different enough that you can view it separately from the books and feel like you're still getting like your Anne fix um but I really recommend it I, I I'm a fan of the old series as well but they're very different beasts I think uh, they're taking the same material and doing completely different things with it and they're su- both succeeding really well at what they're a- aiming to do okay you've convinced me on something else this shouldn't be allowed <laughs> <laughs> this is basically what this podcast is right we just pitch things to each other and stop when we've succeeded and move on to the next thing <laughs> I mean that's very very accurate <laughs> so you mentioned um the nature writing um but for me the nature writing that I love reading can be ingrained in fiction but I also love reading um, non-fiction nature writing and so when you mentioned that I reminded me of two books that I really love one is The Wild Remedy by Emma Mitchell um, which is a look at mental health and nature and how the two mix Um, so she documents her mental illness and talks about how um, she um, does certain things in nature and witnesses things in nature that help with it but it's never a book about curing mental illness it's always a book about looking how we can help slightly if slightly is all you can manage and um, and it sets out in um the months so it's a book that you can read linearly but I also think that you could pick it up say in August and read the August chapter and read the September chapter in September um and the thing I think with mental health in nature is that this time of year I agree with Emma Mitchell it's slightly easier you know it's lighter um there's lots of flowers out and um the bees and um I know I only have to look out my window and I can see the birds and their fledglings and it makes me feel happy whereas going into the autumn and the winter months I just kind of feel part of my soul crash Um, and so I like to read books like this at this time of year um because I think it reminds you of of what you've got and because I think there are times in the year when you can kind of forget that I know I'm very guilty of that of thinking the winter is going to be never ending Um, and so summer reading for me is about that it's about capturing those happy feelings to keep me going throughout the winter but then the other nature writing book I love isn't really nature writing um it's a book called The Country Diary of an Edwardian Lady by Edith Holden um and Uh, She documented her encounters with nature throughout the year and then illustrated it. And it was, I think, quite a successful TV series, maybe. And you see a lot of merchandise still related to it. Um, 
and I, I just love dipping in and out of it to see what she was witnessing at what time of the year. So even though it's not writing, I still feel like it's a book you can get a lot out of. Do you think that the season you choose to set a book in will change the tone of the story? Because obviously if you set a book in the winter, it's very grey and cold. But then you've got Christmas, which is a very exciting festive time. Uh, if you're saying something in spring, you have got all of this nature and blossoming life coming back after the long winter. Um, summer, again, is all about plants and being outside and exploring the countryside. Uh, even if it's not about that as a story, do you think that it has a place in the book that will change it because of when it's set? Yeah, I definitely think so. But I don't even think it's the most obvious ways of writing. I think that you know take summer for example you associate summer with warmth and maybe happiness because it is so warm and you can spend more time outside um but one of my favorite scenes in any book is from the great gatsby in the scene where it's boiling hot and all the characters are stuffed into this hotel room and it's kind of this big conflict scene before everything happens at the end um and so even though i associate summer reading with contemporary and light books it, this is one of my favourite scenes because the heat makes everything so unbearable. It's so unbearably hot that conflict has to happen. And so I think that you can use the seasons to your advantage as a writer, whether that is for good reasons or for bad reasons. And also it's just a great excuse to have different kinds of outfits. Like I love autumn clothing and big woolen scarves and mustard yellow jumpers and then kind of summer dresses with lots of patterns and uh, big straw hats and feather boas and like there's lots of different things that you can have your characters wear based on the time of year that's just a great excuse to discuss their fashion choices which goes a bit back to what we were saying about how you can say a lot about who your character is and what their personality is based on what they choose to wear so if you do have a character who's wearing like shorts and a skimpy t-shirt in the dead of winter why are they doing that and what can you read into them as a person because of that I cannot imagine what my characters look like or are wearing and it's something when I'm editing my editor is particularly like well, what do they look like what are they wearing can we add something in here because <laughs> I'm pretty much in my imagination I can't think about what people look like or I can't imagine their facial expressions or anything like that I'm almost completely blank to it so it's something I've got to work extra hard at I have to look at pictures online I have to really like sometimes I just scroll through Instagram and look at what people are wearing because I cannot make my imagination imagine it I have to try extra hard it's something that I never really used to think about until I uh, met Alice Oseman a friend of mine who uses fashion in her books in this amazing way like the almost the first thing she tells you about any character is what they're wearing and they always have such weird distinctive clothes clothing choices that you immediately understand them as a person and it's so so skillful the way she does it that like having seen her do it in a lot of books I just started being like I need to do this more I need to use clothing as a tool because I it I'm uh, underestimating how much you can say with it. Is there a difference as well for you because you're writing kind of science fiction do you ever try to you know is there any science behind what your characters ever wear or do you just not think about that element of it? 
it is surprisingly getting more and more part of the plot in terms of like if you're writing a book in space obviously you need to know what kind of uh uniforms and clothes they'll be provided by nasa um are they are they wearing things that they've been they've made themselves because they're given material because there's no clothing available to buy so is everything a bit more handmade and personalized because of that and how are they expressing their own personality based on the things they're making on maybe like a colony planet with materials they can get from there um and so it's something that i do think about a lot and i find it a really interesting way to um when i'm first brainstorming what the characters are going to be like um thinking about what their life is like in terms of what they can buy and what they have to make themselves for example in the quiet at the end of the world uh, it's about the last boy and girl born after humans stop being able to conceive so they are living in a very very small community where most of the things they're getting they have to grow themselves so they have to keep chickens they have sheep and llamas and so most of their clothes are either going to be very old inherited things that have been discovered in abandoned cities and buildings uh, like old barber jackets that they found or they're things that have been made from uh, llama wool which they've had to weave themselves and knowing that from the beginning is um, really important to me when I'm planning how I'm going to have these characters behave and act and what they're going to value. This is why I, I stick to writing contemporary because that is far too complicated for my brain. <laughs> so one of the things I wanted to talk about as well is that you mentioned um, talking about seasons and heat in the summer specifically. Um, one that I immediately thought of was a book I've just read called Dry by Neil Shusterman. And it is a climate change science fiction book about what would happen um, in a few years years if LA and California lost all of their water supplies and how very quickly um, civilization and society would just descend into absolute chaos if the only water available was bottled water that people hadn't necessarily stocked up on and prepared in advance and how very quickly this would happen would it would be over a course of a week because if you've got no water you're going to die very fast and it is such an evocative book because the whole book is about thirst and about temperature and heat and having nothing to drink and so the whole way through I was just gulping pints of cold water down as I was reading because it just made me so thirsty and these characters are teenagers on their own they've lost their family and they're just desperately driving and walking around California trying to find any water supply at all and it is one of those books that does a, it sends a message very well the message is we need to do something about climate change soon because this is a future that is not that far off and this is an extreme example of what's going to happen but something very similar probably will happen but it is also just such an immersive experience again it's one of those books that is almost set over the course of one day when you're just following a character minute to minute and all they are, can think about is their their bodily human needs uh but you're you're completely captivated and you're sold on this and you're with them for every step of the way and that is a book that I don't think I could read in summer I read it in the dead of winter and it was almost too much for me, for me even then so I think if I tried to read it, read it in a heat wave I might not survive and another one that also uses temperature in the complete opposite way uh, I just wanted to mention this because uh, it's the Hugo Award 
finals next week and I voted for it and this was my choice for the best novel and it's Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik and it's the exact opposite of a summer read because it's about ice and frozen things and um, it just made me so cold rather than wanting a drink it made me want to curl up under a blanket Uh, so it would definitely help you cool down in the sun. So this was, like I said, my my choice for the best novel, science fiction novel of the year. Um, it's a adaptation of Rumpelstiltskin that uses Jewish traditions to make the fairy tale more real. So it's told from the point of view of the girl who, instead of spinning gold, uh, she is uh, the daughter of a money lender. So she goes around collecting uh, money that people owe her and uh, she's very good at this and when an ice king overhears her her father say that she can turn anything into gold because she's so good at collecting this money that they're owed um, the ice king decides to take her up on that and gives her some silver that she has to return as gold coins within a few days and she is forced to make trades and deals to try and uh, take this initial investment and turn it into gold and when she is successful he does it again and he keeps doing this uh, uh, and she has to go through with it so her family home doesn't get frozen by this ice king and then when she is successful she is taken to his glacier ice kingdom as a reward which she's not happy about and he's not happy about either and uh, from then on it is an adventure in this ice cold kingdom of frozen uh, palaces inside a mountain and it's just such a great book because I love fairy tale retellings but I tend to get a bit bored with them when I know exactly what the plot is and what they're going to do and this does something new and surprising with this story of Rumpelstiltskin and it takes it in directions that I didn't guess all the way through it was totally unpredictable right up to the end even in terms of the romances who is going to end up with who who is a villain and who is a love interest I just had no idea and it had all these different storylines which just converged together in the end in the best way and it was just a continual joy to read from the start when you're absolutely immersed in these characters lives and they have um, these monsters who are really and truly monstrous and everything about it just uh, really was like this is what a writing should be and this is how you take a fairy tale and make it something new and modern without Uh, just copying what's come before you and building on it so uh, I highly recommend it. Ever since I've heard you talk about Spinning Silver I know that I really want to read it even though it's not my usual type of book you have convinced me yet again. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm here for. I thought to round up today's discussion we could talk a bit about writing in summer because I actually love writing in summer I hate writing towards the end of the year um, when everything just feels so dark and miserable and it might be raining outside I love writing in summer I've got the majority of my writing um, done during summer I used to write in my summer holidays how many times can I say summer in one sentence Um, (laughs) but I love it because I, I feel quite free I can write outside I can write inside I wrote my book which is set in summer during the summer I could use the things around me as inspiration and the places I was writing about I had seen during that time so I knew exactly what they looked like I also wrote my first novel The Next Together during the summer holidays and Easter holidays when I was at uni and um, I still like writing in summer now mainly because there's less emails everyone in publishing goes away on holiday there's no events that I need to organize there's no 
there's nothing going on like in autumn there's a lot more things happening and um like parties and stuff this time of year people are usually away on holiday it is a very peaceful time where I can just write all day without having to do any admin and I just sink into the story and sit out usually I sit outside with a cold drink under the tree uh, and all my dogs around me and I um, write until I need to go in because it's too hot uh, so it's definitely a time that I always connect with getting a draft done and then I will try and edit it uh, over the autumn and winter um, before moving on to the next one the next summer. So I want to go away now and read every book that we have mentioned in today's episode but I think we've got to stop now because otherwise we'll talk about too many and I mean I've got to go and start reading. <laughs> um so our next episode will be on retellings. Um, so I'm really looking forward to discussing lots of film and TV and book retellings to see how they all mix in together um, and to really think about how stories are told and how we can tell them in different ways. Links to everything we've discussed today will be in the show notes, as well as those pictures of Oliver and Digby that I promised. And you can find us on Twitter at Lucy the Reader and Lauren underscore E underscore James thank you very much for listening and uh hope you catch us next time bye